Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to another episode of Making Bank. Today's guest is Humpty Calderon. Humpty is perhaps best known around Bankless DAO for CryptoSapiens, a Web3 podcast series that got its start as Tuesday Talks inside the Bankless DAO Discord server in mid-2021. Today, Humpty joins us to talk about Orange Protocol, a reputation and trust-minting protocol that aggregates data and Web3 reputation models to generate verifiable credentials and NFTs. Humpty hosts regular meetups in the Los Angeles area and will also be attending and speaking at MCON in Denver in September. Welcome, Humpty. It is fun to finally have you on Making Bank. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Really a big fan of what you're doing. Well, I'm a big fan of what you're doing, too. And actually, you kind of inspired me to start working on Making Bank. Before we jump into Orange Protocol and Reputation Identity, I feel like a lot of people in DAO space and Bankless DAO in particular are pretty familiar with who you are. But maybe if you wouldn't mind just giving a little bit of background on Humpty Calderon and what brought you into Web3, how long you've been in this space, that kind of thing, before we jump in, and then we'll get right to it. Sure, yeah. So I guess I've known about crypto, what it was called prior to Web3, for quite some time, even before I kind of started speculating on it. In about 2016, I was uh, kind of looking at what this thing Bitcoin was, and I figured I might as well make a bet into it. And after that, it was just really diving deeper into the rabbit hole. Being a technologist, my background being in information technology, I immediately saw the parallels in the tech stack. But definitely many of the advantages that decentralized technology can offer to scale out these different types of applications, but also in the way that we could onboard and empower communities. And so around 2018 is when I launched my very first initiative on chain, and it was creating a validator network. So we were going across a variety of delegated proof of stake networks. We were launching nodes, uh, building with community. Of course, this is before DAOs in the way that we know them today. We didn't have the tooling to be able to bring people together and to be able to uh, allow for them to generate yield and earn rewards and just be able to build communities. So a lot of this had to be done from scratch, and we did. And we actually proved out that model in that in our first blockchain where we launched as a community-powered node, we eventually, in only a couple of months, got over 50% of the delegated stake. So for anybody who knows anything about crypto and staking, anything over 50% is danger uh, ground because someone could potentially... 51% attack. Exactly. So obviously that was never our intention. Uh, we didn't do anything with that except for the fact, celebrate, that we had actually uh, connected with the community. Our message actually was meaningful to them. So yeah, we continued to do this for several years. And around 2020, towards the end of 2020, I was looking for new challenges, new opportunities. And this kind of topic of decentralized identity and data really was very much emergent then. I would say nowhere close to where it is today in terms of the people talking about it, the number of projects building towards it. And so I joined this project called Ontology 
because they had been building this technology for longer than many people who were talking about it at that point. And they were connected to some of the more important consortiums that were building out the standards like the W3C and the DIF. And so I started building with them. And it was also around this time that I started seeing DAOs becoming something interesting to people. I was hosting a regular series on Clubhouse. And in fact, I hosted Bankless DAO, some folks from Bankless DAO on my show on Clubhouse. And it's when I learned about Bankless DAO. And so as you do, fell deeper down that rabbit hole, uh, joined Bankless DAO, joined many more DAOs. In fact, I think at one point I was in over 100 DAOs. And yeah, I haven't looked back since. Now the tooling that we're building with Orange Protocol is basically bridging all of these different experiences that I've had in my Web3 past, including building with community, um, building these inclusive systems with technology, building for DAOs to create more robust mechanisms for onboarding contributors, for incentivizing them and for governing the DAOs as well. So I just feel like every little bit that I've done in my crypto experience has really capitulated with Orange Protocol. Yeah, it sounds like it. This is a pretty fascinating area. And, and I've been actually been wanting to talk with you about this topic for quite some time or learn some more about it. It's a protocol for minting reputation and trust. But what exactly does that mean? And then we're talking about verifiable credentials, these ideas of soul-bound tokens. So there's a lot of buzzwords that we need to unpack. So where do you want to start with that? Yeah, so I guess we can start at some of the technology on which Orange Protocol is built, and that is decentralized identity, verifiable credentials. I think now though that language is not so uncommon to many people or unfamiliar. There was, I guess, a bit of a debate for some time in terms of whether you would want to work with verifiable credentials or whether you wanted to go the soulbound token route. Um, this was around the time that Pooja and Glenn Weil and uh, Vitalik published an article on decentralized society, which actually I think it's a really interesting article. A lot of what it posits, I think, uh, is uh, very much theoretical, uh, very much a challenge to the community to see what it inspires, but definitely backed by some of the needs in the ecosystem. So the reason why Orange Protocol is built on top of DID and VCs, decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials, firstly, is because this is built from technology that was originally on ontology. And like I mentioned earlier, ontology has been building with this technology for many, many years, I would say going back four years or more. So definitely uh, well-versed individuals and a project that has delivered consistently in this space. And so it has robust technology and tools to be able to develop applications like Orange Aside from that, I think that there's something to be said in terms of like these attestations that people make about you. You know, Drost is a good podcaster or Drost is a bad podcaster. Like those are attestations. People can define that based on their experience of you and the podcast. But those attestations, of course, maybe that one is not so necessarily needs to be private. But attestations, when they have private information, should be private. And so... Orange Protocol, using DIDs and VCs, is able to create a platform that enables people to generate these attestations about their blockchain experience, whether it's how much they hold in a certain token or which blue chip NFTs they hold or what DAOs are a part of or how often are they participating in governance using Snapshot and a DAO or just the, all of these different things. 
Uh, all of uh, these are all generated as VCs. So they are private secure in that they're encrypted. And the only person that can sign and sign them is the holder of that private key. So the person who's generating these attestations. The other thing is DIDs, decentralized identifiers, really cool thing about them is their interoperability. And I don't just mean cross-platform, like from Snapshot to Gitcoin, for instance. I'm talking about cross-protocol uh, through blockchains. So you can have a unique identity that you're able to use across a variety of blockchains. And so I think there are many of us who have use of blockchain across a variety of chains, whether we're using Ethereum, we're using Solana, we're using Near Protocol, Ontology, BNB Chain, you name it. There should be a way to enable these people to capture the value that they're generating across these blockchains. And that value, I think we sometimes use the word reputation. And so someone who is generating value in a DAO, for instance, has built up a layer of reputation, a level of reputation, excuse me. And that reputation can then be used to open up some other activity within a DAO, for instance, or maybe interesting and useful for a new DAO that's coming up where there's alignment to contributors like yourself and would want to onboard you. And so there is this portability of that reputation as well across protocols and across platforms too. So I'll maybe stop there. And if you have any questions on that, uh, happy to kind of keep exploring Orange Protocol as well though. Well, I'm wondering if we need to explain a couple of terms, maybe talking about in terms of the use cases uh, might be useful and then maybe how that what components would play into it. When you need to verify who you are to a bank or an individual, and maybe you're not face-to-face -face or whatever, do you need to expose every piece of data about yourself? There needs to be some verifiable way to, to say, yes, this is who they say they are. And then the piece of information that you require, that's the only information you get. You don't get the whole dossier on them. And I think that's been part of the problem with traditional systems. It's been all or nothing these Web2 companies, they pretty much have every piece of information about you that ever existed. And if you want to go do business with a new entity or you want to go, you know, do anything, you have to expose way too much personal information that is irrelevant to the conversation. Like if you're trying to get a mortgage, all they really need to know is your credit worthiness. They don't need to know anything else about you. But yet they do ask all of those things. Those are some of the questions that pop into my mind as not being really close to this work. Is that something that you find that resonates with people or am I off base there? No, I think you're on the right track there. I think in terms of like what banks need, I think a lot of that is regulatory, right? So there's laws that state that they need to have this information for every customer. And it's the reason why exchanges, centralized exchanges, that is, uh, do the same thing because they're registered in a country. So they have a real world entity. And these real world entities have regulations and laws that they need to abide by. They need, if they want to continue to be in service, otherwise they'll be shut down. But there's something to be said in terms of, I think the point you were making there in which, you know, how much information is needed in a decentralized ecosystem. And so when we look at a project like Orange Protocol, or maybe, a number of other projects that are building in the decentralized identity and reputation space. What matters is the source of truth, right? So it is a, the trusted issuers of these credentials. Is it just me that's making these attestations about myself? Am I a trusted individual to be making those attestations about myself? And that's up to you to decide. 
Or is Orange Protocol a trusted entity that these attestations are meaningful because the project is decentralized and it's aggregating data, so it's actually unbiased, um, you know, in terms of the way that it calculates reputation. And the fact that reputation can be modeled just really depending on the need of a project or individual. So I think that's just one piece of it. The other is in terms of this identity is... A lot of this is supported, or the reputation, I should say, a lot of this is supported by activities that are important and meaningful to the person who wishes to understand if this person is reputable. So a protocol may wish to know if you are a reputable borrower, for instance, right? So let's keep following that thread of um, you know, credit systems, maybe in the traditional world versus like credit systems in the decentralized ecosystem. And so... The protocol may wish to attest or verify that you are this trusted, reputable individual. And why would they want to do that? Well, currently, DeFi is very much over-collateralized. And the purpose for that over-collateralization is if you default, there should be some way of recouping some of those costs, right? Now, the goal, of course, is to try to replicate the way that credit systems and financial systems work in the traditional space where I, if I wanted to buy a house, I certainly don't need to put up double the assets to be able to buy that house. I use my credit to be able to unlock a loan from a bank that then allows me to pay that home over time. That doesn't really exist in decentralized systems today because there is no trust. There is no credit score that really aggregates that or is that trusted enough either. And so I think what we're looking to do and what Orange can do, but certainly what other DeFi native credit systems can do as well, is define what these models look like for credit worthiness. And then using that to allow someone to under collateralize that loan, meaning they don't have to put up twice the value of the assets that you're trying to borrow to be able to take that loan and then use those loans and however you see fit. And then paying them back and then just kind of repeating the cycle because you pay them back, uh, your score goes up, and so it opens up uh, better rates and you know other types of benefits within that protocol. So yeah, that's just some examples, I guess, to try to respond to that um, question or challenge, I suppose. Yeah, sure. I mean, we tend to think of it in the financial sense, financial privacy, that kind of thing. The other side of this is, you know, we're all here working in Web3 and you bring people onto a project and how do you know if they're going to get it done? How do you know the quality level? I mean, you can look at prior portfolio work, but that's not going to tell you if they deliver on time. It's not going to give you all that other other data. I think that's been one of the challenges too in Web3. We're working independently. People may have other jobs. You don't really have a manager. You may or may not have a deadline. You have a set of deliverables. And I know we've had this happen in other places where you think you've got a good team together and see that there's not enough of an incentive there or or maybe they get busy with something else. And there's no way to really know if a person's going to follow through on a project. I mean, you keep your fingers crossed and hope. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the other piece here is, you know, as you've done work and people working on these projects need and want others to know that, hey, I'm working here, I'm getting this done, I'm delivering, and to be able to carry that reputation with you, especially when you're anon or, or maybe you're changing handles or whatever. It's like, how do you know that this person actually did that? I mean, we're, we're struggling with that ourselves. Yeah, I think part of the challenge of a, you know, working in these decentralized ways, right, and sometimes in pseudonymous ways and asynchronous ways as well, 
is you don't necessarily know who's going to be joining your project and really their reputability and their able to ability to execute within a particular kind of skill set or even just in terms of being timely and professional. So I think that the point of this all is we are trying to find better ways to surface that quality or impact contributor to be able to incentivize them first onboarding them, making sure that there's some sort of alignment between yourself and them and between your needs and their abilities, and then incentivizing them to contribute. Because I think that there are people who may actually be coming in and don't necessarily have the necessary skill set when they first joined the DAO. But it's just one of these things that the open nature of DAOs allow for people to contribute maybe in ways that they wouldn't have in the traditional workspace. And so this is, gives them an opportunity to learn something new, to become proficient in some other manner, and eventually become skilled and impactful. And so there's something to be said both in terms of finding those individuals, but it's also something to be said in terms of like signaling these individuals who have gained these skills and wanting to retain them too, right? Because churn is real. I've seen some people tweeting it's like you should be building more for like uh, quicker onboarding and not necessarily retention. But at the end of the day, I think that as a DAO grows, especially these that are a little bit more maybe product focused or just definitely have a much clearer view in terms of what it is that they're developing and then they have to deliver something to the community consistently, these individuals would need to retain these top contributors to be able to grow the project and scale in robustness, reputation in itself. And so there should be a way to identify or signal who these individuals have been that have been doing this type of impact contributions and then being able to incentivize them in ways that are aligned to them, whether that's financial or non-financial. One example is at Orange Protocol, We've been working and talking to the folks over at Dwork and Wonderverse to provision their data so that any DAO, regardless of which of the applications they choose to use, can identify those contributors that are consistently generating value to a project and so that they can themselves within that application also incentivize them through maybe additional bounties or tasks whether that is higher remuneration, that really is up to the way that the project or DAO seeks create value-aligned incentives. I'm a strong believer in that financial incentives aren't necessarily the do-all, end-all. I agree. There should be ways to incentivize people through non-financial incentives. And actually, one of my favorites, aside from governance, obviously, and I think there's still a lot of room to improve a governance, is ownership. And so I really like what projects like DAO House are doing where based on your contributions, you can stake the house token and then be able to kind of generate a, uh, a quote-unquote like stock or something that has a voting power in that organization. And so you kind of are able to move some of these financial incentives into non-financial incentives that both give you ownership into the DAO, but also give you more governance power in the DAO. And so, yeah, those, those are just some things that I, I'm personally exploring and certainly how Orange Protocol sees itself fitting into this ecosystem. Yeah, that's really interesting to me, too. I agree with you that there's too much emphasis on the financial side of things. And there's so many other components here. I think part of the challenge is the difficulty in measuring this stuff. 
you may end up spending a bunch of time on something that doesn't then reward you. They take the IP or take all of your hard labor and then you have nothing to show for it, not even the fact that you did it. There's always those out there that'll take advantage of you, whether it's an employer or whatever. And to be able to tie your activity as you do it, and then regardless of what happens, if, like you said, if it's a portable reputation, it doesn't matter what happens then. You own that. You've done it. You own it. It always stays with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you're also touching on something that the folks over at Govern are currently experimenting with, and that is this idea that DAOs are actually not made up of people, but they're made up of contributions. And these contributions are owned by DAO members. So there needs to be some sort of portability of these contributions. And I'm really interested to see how they continue to explore this. And certainly that's another project that we're working with over at Orange Protocol, provisioning that governed data to be able to build with that to create these reputation models. So briefly, Orange Protocol really functions with these two high-level touch points. The first one being on the data provisioning side, where just about anyone can provision data. Currently, it's very much a permissioned project because we are in beta. And so a lot of it is built in ways that are not necessarily uh, scalable, but that's the point right now is we're really trying to build a product that is useful, improves uh, the concept. And so we're working with projects like Govern and Gitcoin and Collabland and DowHouse and MetaCartel. And these really interesting and meaningful projects in the Web3 space by provisioning their data because we believe that these projects are generating data, on-chain and off-chain data, that is usable as a framework for reputation. So on the other end, the other touch point is model providers. Model providers then define what reputation means based on any data sets they choose to use for that model. So they may choose to say that reputation in this one instance means being a public goods regenerative person, meaning you are contributing to public goods through Gitcoin. Either you have a project there that's getting contributions or you're actually funding these public goods on the Gitcoin platform. They may also choose to include a level of governance, meaning because we have Snapshot as a data provider on Orange, we can also build on that data, meaning you can say this person needs to also be actively participating in governance. So in the last three months, they voted in at least three votes, right? Seems quite minimal, but I'm sure that's probably more than a lot of people are participating in governance. And then they may choose to also say, and you are a member of a DAO within DAO House. So you got like a rules based. Right. So you just to prove the composability uh, of it all is that there is like these data Legos that we're building with that then allow you to then construct these reputation models. And then that reputation model, any one individual, myself, yourself, can go to Orange and generate a verifiable credential that attests that I have met all of these minimum requirements. And I can either use that VC as a primitive within the Web3 ecosystem, or I can take it a step further with like the recent feature on Orange called Drops, which then allows you to mint a non-transferable NFT that's linked to that VC. And just to, I guess, wrap up the conversation of VCs and SPTs, we believe that there's value in both, but they, we also agree with some of the challenges that were presented about SPTs in particular. And an SPT is a soul-bound token. Correct. In which the argument was that SPTs leak a lot of data 
on chain, right? Because a lot of this data, non the blockchain is transparent, it's public in nature. This data then is immutable and uh, permanent, and you don't. I wouldn't want that, and you know, any kind of private data permanently uh, on chain. So, using this bridge uh, with VCs and non-transparent NFTs, we're able to make these attestations. Again, this representation of your reputation as a verifiable credential, which is private and encrypted, and then just having met that criteria using that VC, then you can then generate an associated NFT, which is just another primitive that is composable and that a DAO may wish to use or an individual or project may wish to use in that ecosystem to signal something else as well. Or it's just a cool collectible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Orange is working both from the provider side as well as as the individual wanting to Uh, be more self-sovereign and and manage their privacy. I wanted to touch on, before we go, since there are so many components and you're still in beta, what is the best way for someone to start jumping into this? First, to explore from, if you're just getting started in decentralized identity and trying to understand this idea of verifiable credentials, what's the best place to start with that? And then is, since Orange is in beta, are you operating on a testnet right now? Or is it something where you have to be invited to be able to work with it? Or what is the status at this point, if folks are interested in learning more? Yeah. So just to touch on a couple of things you said there. So in terms of Orange, it is actually quite agnostic to many things. It's agnostic to the data being provisioned. It's agnostic to the way that reputation is being defined. And one of the cool things about being agnostic is even the protocols on which we're built, DIDs and VCs, We are currently onboarding other VC data to our platform. One might say, why are you competing against yourself? And we believe that there's value in using and building on these VCs that other projects like Disco and Collabland are building because we then prove that value of the portability of data and to build reputation. And in terms of being in beta, that just means that, you know, there's just so much left here that we want to build, especially to make this permissionless and no code or low code as possible so that anybody can go and provision data to Orange and anybody can go and start generating these reputation models on the platform in ways that are super simple, where you just literally plug this different data and create different models. Just think of like user-generated content on some sort of gaming platform. That's how we see Orange Protocol continuing to evolve uh, and again, trying to keep in, keep that as permissionless as possible. The permission part currently is for our uh, data and model providers mainly, but anyone can use the platform to generate their uh, verifiable credentials and their reputation as verifiable credentials, or even to go to the drops site. So you go to app.orangeprotocol.io, and you can see that we have a campaign open currently and that we will have another campaign opening up pretty soon. Some of the things that we're doing right now, for instance, we launched on BNB Chain two weeks ago, launched on Polygon last week, and we're going to be launching Ave's campaign this week. And heading into MCON, we're going to be launching a campaign with Collabland and Metacartel. So wow. just a lot, yeah, a lot of really interesting stuff happening in each of these kind of in different domains of reputation. The first ones we did on the blockchains themselves were really just social campaigns to to attest that you have uh, participated or supported the project by following them on Twitter and joining their Discord and retweeting something. Very simple. But the Ave ones are actually going to be retroactive. They're going to be looking at people's liquidity activity, people's governance activity, and also social activities. And being able to generate these VCs and NFTs associated to that. The ones in Collabland and Metacartel is going to be even different than that. We're looking at how we can decentralize grant funding, which Metacartel is one of the larger grants 
uh, funding DAOs. Uh, and so they're really looking to for ways to decentralize and scale this out. And so we're happy to be a part of that. Anybody who cur- wants to learn more, certainly go to our website, orangeprotocol.io. All of our social links are there. We're publishing on Mirror pretty regularly. We're posting on Twitter pretty regularly at Orange Protocol. And um, yeah, we're launching campaigns pretty regularly too on the app. So app.orangeprotocol.io. Awesome. You had mentioned Disco.xyz. I believe it's Evan McMullen was on Bounty Hunter recently with uh, Brandon Nolte. And that was a really good episode talking about what Disco does. And uh, their mantra is Breeze passed on onboarding forms. And it's related to reputation, building identity, that kind of thing for both communities and developers. I think that there's a lot of gaps or a lot left to, to be wanted from it, especially when we're talking about building these systems that are uh, attesting to someone's reputation to then generate some better onboarding practices or incentives and things like that. So exactly. we want to make sure that we are uh, building these projects in ways that are uh, privacy preserving. And so big fans of uh, Disco and Evan, obviously, I think she's an incredible ambassador for this space. One of the better speakers uh, that I've come upon talking about this, and I've learned so much from her. Uh, so that's why I'm pretty ex- excited as well to have Disco be a part of this ecosystem because that's exactly what we're building. We're building on top of that primitive to allow for you to build reputation from your identity. Excellent. And um, I believe this episode will come out before MCON, so I just want to touch on that real quick. MCON takes place in Denver. And what are the dates on that in September? Seven, eight, nine, I believe, of September. And I'm going to be speaking on behalf of Bankless DAO with Mia from Yap Global, I believe, on the 7th. And we're going to be talking about storytelling in a DAO and the value of that to build these aligned communities. Uh, certainly something that's very near and dear to my heart, especially the work that I'm doing over at Bankless DAO and Crypto Sapiens. And then the other is with this consortium of sorts that we've built with Collabland, Sobol, Metacartel, Orange Protocol, obviously, and actually HATS protocol. And that's going to be on the 8th. And we're going to be talking about building with decentralized identity and verifiable credentials to create these decentralized grant systems, but just generally to see how we can continue to explore identity and reputation in the Web3 space. Fantastic. You're hitting on all cylinders, Humpty. And Everything that you've brought to the table and brought to Bankless DAO, and I've learned so much from you. Yeah, there's so much to explore here, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks again, and we'd love to obviously have you back on Making Bank sometime. And we're going to be listening to Crypto Sapiens. Check out MCON, check out Orange Protocol. Go listen to that Disco.xyz interview on Bounty Hunter with Evan McMullen. That was a really good one. Let's see how this evolves. Any parting words before we wrap up? Yeah, I guess since we talked about Crypto Sapiens briefly, we will be dropping a new mini-series called W3ID, and so Web3 Identity. I think this kind of ties a beautiful bow on the conversation is that we at Crypto Sapiens saw the need to expand on some of these conversations that we were having and really dive deeper into the topics, like these really meaty emergent conversations that were happening. And so W3ID uh, is a panel that rotated And we actually had Evan a few times on the panel, and we were talking about what is digital identity in the Web3 space, looking at some of the primitives like DIDs and VCs, and then also looking at how you can build reputation and what that meant for DAO governance. So it's a four-part mini-series, and I'm really excited for that to drop. That should be dropping before MCON as well. Wow, excellent. A lot of great content. And this is so timely with all of the concerns around privacy. Thank you again, Humpty. Look forward to 
seeing what else is coming out of your growing uh, decentralized media entity that just seems to be producing excellent content all over the place. And all of this stuff is tying together and your interest in identity. And it's just really fantastic. And I can't wait to see more. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been Making Bank, a production of Bankless DAO. If you'd like to learn more about Bankless DAO, please visit bankless.community on the web for more information on how to get started. And of course, if you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast 